<laughs> All right. No, it's just saying. So anybody else needs to make an announcement before we... Yeah, one thing. Laura. Right? Right? And Josh, Josh. Oh, yeah. I did. I did. I'm Irish. I'm not Irish. I'm Scottish. I did see it, though. It's It's great. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I really can though. Well, like, the the cheekbones and the I can definitely see it. <laughs> no, really, it's there. I'm serious. I don't know if you knew yet. Do you know there is a difference? They call they call them. There's like black Irish and red Irish. Have you heard about that? Yeah, it's because there's there's really only two like hair colors in Ireland, and it's really dark black, and then red, and and like almost n there's not much in between. It's like. And so they call, they talk about the black Irish and the red Irish, and you, really you kind of give a whole new name, a whole new <laughs> perspective on that. But, yeah, yeah. What? Okay. So, my dad initiated my parents to go to church once, and then in church he sang and did, like, did all this stuff. So he, like, participated in stuff. So, like, that's really, that's exciting. Breakthrough. That's exciting. Breakthrough. Breakthrough. Absolutely, yeah. Relatives are coming to the Savior. Not my... Mom and Dad from the South Bend, but possibly the ones from Florida. Really? Breakthrough. I wish my dad was coming to the Sharing time? Why not? So, a couple years ago, I had this friend that was going to be the God of this So, because he was amazing, he had like a lot of demonic stuff in his life that he didn't realize was demonic. And he told me that like he actually was like told to like some spirit or something that he made his house sold to the devil, but he just wouldn't. And um, he well, told me this good. weekend that he started talking to this couple, and he, like, gave his life to God. Whoa! And he, like, never even believed in God before. And he, I was the first person he told. And I was just like, Dang. wow. He was like, yeah, I, I just seen, like, your life and stuff, and I wanted what you had. And I was like, mm -hmm. wow. Breakthrough. Okay. <laughs> two weeks ago, now it's the saying of the year. Two, two weeks ago, uh... The Lord told me he was healing backs and uh, and necks and uh, and right eyes. And I had, um, I actually had more than five people, but I, only five people I could remember and I didn't want to exaggerate. So I had five <laughs> confirmed healings of, of one of those things um, on that Sunday. And then last Sunday, there was more people that got healed. So come on now. God's doing good stuff, man. I mean, it's, it's, it's. This is the year of breakthrough. Scott shaved his head. Breakthrough. <laughs> it's the year of jubilee. Is that what that means? No. <laughs> but it's okay. No, jubilee came once every 50 years. It was like the 50th year. And, and it literally meant all of, your, uh, all of your debts were forgiven. Like every debt forgiven. Imagine like, you know, psh, done. And, no, this is back in the back in the Israel days, and, and uh, God said that every seventh year debt was to be forgiven, but on the fiftieth year, like every debt period, like was to be forgiven. It's an interesting. Neither that I know of, but I mean, I might have been. I haven't really been outside much. He has a red tint. I have a, a red tint. Yeah. Oh. Like your, your, your face. You know, he's, he's like tailing his dad. 
I would love, yeah, dad just, dad's, dad's like Native like American. Like, I don't know what's going on. Yeah, like Ken. Look at Grandpa Ken. Grandpa Ken. Grandpa Ken. Like a Grandpa Ken. A Grandpa Ken. That somebody needs to tweet that. Passed around looks like a Grandpa Ken doll. Somebody, somebody needs to tweet that. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm possibly the. Possibly going to Romania on a mission trip this summer. Whoa, Romania! Romania! That was like a cheerleader clap. That was like, yikes! I am a professional clapper. I'm gonna go to Hollywood and like audition. Pastor Josh, she is a clapper. She was a pilot. What? I don't know what you're talking about. She is the potty cheerleader. I don't want to know. <laughs> that is fantastic. Romania. I've never been to Europe. I would love to go. I've been to Asia, but I've never been to Europe. Okay. Well, let's open up uh, our Bibles. We're going to go to Ephesians chapter 5 again. We are in Ephesians chapter 5. Yes, we are. No, we finished four. In fact, we we even start. I think we started five even. Yeah, we did. We did. We did start five. No, it was a couple weeks. I don't know when it was, but we did. We started Ephesians five. I'm sorry. It's up on the podcast. The I think it might not be. Well, because the last two weeks we kind of end up going like other places. And that's fine. I felt like that was the Lord. But but uh, we did end up getting to Ephesians 5 one of those weeks because I remember talking through like the first few verses. But we're going to skip all the way down to verse 22, and we're going to spend some time talking about marriage, which is kind of interesting. Cool. Since, um, I feel like this week has been all about marriage. I wonder, maybe it's prophetic. Anyway, please turn it down. I don't know. I went to the wedding on Saturday. And then How was it? It was fun. Did you dance? No, because we had to leave early. Party poopers. I did. I wanted to. St- I would have stayed and danced, but my dance partner was not there, and I would have felt weird dancing with anybody else. I would have danced with Jer. Absolutely. I would have danced. With- I would have danced with uh, with Sam too, because you know. He does have moves. He's just. He's you know. Yeah. No, not really. He is. Just don't have him as your DJ <laughs> at your wedding. Not Sam. Frito. Oh. <laughs> no, 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 Sam Jones. Sam Jones, the groom. Sam Frito. The groom. I wouldn't dance with Sam. No, not that Sam. I love him, but it's not like that. 
<laughs> okay. So we are going to go down because this portion of scripture, first of all, is is really important. But second of all, it gets misinterpreted a lot. So I want to spend some time on it. Well, it's also about marriage, but it is about the church. You're absolutely right. It is both. And I want to spend some time on it today um, because I feel like there's some things that Jesus has to say, especially to the ladies in the room. Love you. So to the guys too, for sure, but especially to the ladies. So let's pray and then we'll jump in. Okay. (laughs) Abba, Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for happy news. Lord, I thank you for uh, breakthrough in all areas, in every single category of life. Lord, you are doing things, things that have been held up in the heavenlies for a long time. They are being made manifest. Uh, Lord, I thank you that that is true. And Lord, I pray it would continue. I just say yes to everything that's in your heart. I say yes to everything that you have dreamt, that you have that you have wept over, that you have made ready to happen in the heavenly realms. Lord, I say yes. Lord, I look with eyes of faith into the invisible and I call that stuff out in the name of Jesus and say, Lord, make it manifest in this world's realm in Jesus' name and for his glory, I pray. Amen. That's what breakthrough means, okay? Breakthrough, when we talk about breakthrough, breakthrough means this is something that God has in his heart and stored up in his heart, and but it's still in the invisible realm. Okay, And breakthrough is where faith ushers it out of the invisible into the tangible, into the visible. Okay, And that's, that's the only way it happens, too, is by faith. Faith looks into the invisible, sees what's in the heart of God, and welcomes it from afar. Faith says, says God, you want to do this, and so I am going to cooperate with your heart over myself, over this... Uh, you know, whatever it is. And a lot of times we have to kind of sit on that knowledge that God wants to do this and we have to cooperate with it before we see any fruit, before we see it manifested at all. We have to cooperate with God on what's in his heart before it's ever made visible. And then all of a sudden it comes crashing through from the invisible into the tangible. And and it's it's living that way. Hebrews 11 is all about this. It's about living a life out of what we see in the invisible and not out of what we see in the tangible realm. I don't know why I'm saying this, but I'm saying this for somebody or a few somebodies in this room today. That's what, that's what faith looks like. Faith says, I know who you are, God, and you've revealed part of your heart to me. And I'm going to cooperate with and agree with something that's in your heart that I do not yet see. And one, but and in that, in that cooperation, it becomes birthed into the tangible realm. Jesus said, "When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith in the earth?" Because what God is looking for in His church, He is looking for a people who love Him enough to say, "What's on your heart?" and then to say yes to it to say, I agree, and to give their lives to the birthing of that thing from God's heart into the tangible, okay? Whether that's a ministry, whether that's a a miracle, whether that is a, you know, provision for a certain thing, whether that doesn't matter what it is, it's something that's in the heart of God that is not yet 
tangibly manifest. And we have to, and we spend time believing for it, praying for it. And not only that, but doing physical, tangible things at, that cooperate, that agree with what God's about to do. Does that make sense, what I just said? Okay. Like, um, as we call it like a leap of faith. If you remember like, the, uh, like Indiana Jones in The Last Crusade, when he looks out and, and, and he's supposed to just jump. And he cannot, it just looks like an, an abyss that's underneath him. And he's like, I, I'm about to die. But he has to believe. He's like, I believe, I believe. So he just steps out and all of a sudden he stumbles on it. And oh my gosh, there's something there that I just could not see. It was there the whole time, but he couldn't see it. And only by jumping out from where he was that he landed on it. And that's exactly what God calls us to do is to jump out from that place. Do something on the physical, tangible level that then we all of a sudden stumble into this thing that was not visible or tangible before, but now it is. Because it existed in the heart of God before now, but it didn't exist in the tangible realm until now. And it, it is our cooperation with God in that place. That is what faith is. It's our cooperation with God in that place that brings it out of the invisible into the tangible. Okay? Does that make sense to everybody? It's It's... Almost, it's it's birthing. It is. It's it's a it's a birthing process, and this is why Jesus still has a church on the earth. Is because he refuses to do anything without his people, and he he has chosen a people who will be on the earth, birthing the invisible onto the planet through faith. We can't do it by ourselves, and God refuses to do it by Himself. Could he do it? Yeah, he did it in creation. Let there be, and it happened. Okay, now he's left the let there be with us. That should mess with your head. That's what prayer is. That's what prophetic is. It's us seeing what's in the heart of God and saying, let there be. It doesn't begin with us. It's not our idea. It's not like, you know, we're speaking a, I speak a Corvette into existence for myself, Lord. No, no, that's not what I'm talking about. Faith looks to see what's in God's heart and then speaks what they see. Okay, that's how it works. When the Lord first was teaching me about this, I was at a conference. I was at a worship conference with Jonathan and Melissa Helzer, which blew the top of my head right off, okay? They are, <laughs> if you don't know who that is, they're the people that wrote the song No Longer Slaves. Yeah, that's them, okay? So <clears throat> they're a part of the Bethel tribe now. They weren't at the time, but they are now. And they're these crazy prophetic nutsoid people that I love. Like, they're so great. But anyway, I was at a worship conference, and they were the primary worship leaders, and they were also teaching some. And and they had just mentioned this little blurb about faith, and and, and God grabs me and yanks me, yanks my attention away from what's going on in the room and says, and wants to talk to you about something. And by the way, if God ever does that to you, just listen to him. Totally tune out whatever else is going on and connect with him. He's got something good to say. Anyway, so I was in that, and, and the Lord began to talk to me about this and took me to Hebrews 11 and began to show me this. 
this reality that there are things in the heart of God that do not yet exist in the tangible realm. When I say tangible, it just means they're actually physically present. Okay, they can be felt, touched, tasted, smelled. Okay, that makes them tangible. They can be experienced with the senses. Okay, that's what tangible means. Um, there are things in the heart of God that have not yet been brought through into the tangible realm and that it is faith in the heart of the believer that loves God enough to see what's in his heart and to say yes to it and to begin to act in cooperation with God to bring it out of the invisible into the tangible. Okay, And he was showing me this and he showed me this line of things in his heart for me. It was like there was this like lineup of things that he that he was thinking, dreaming, uh, preparing in his heart for me personally, and 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 he go, and he showed me several of them, and I was like, Lord, oh my gosh, you know, I didn't. The first one was a guitar, and I needed a guitar. I needed a new guitar. My the guitar that I was using at the time to lead worship, etc., was falling apart. I was having to fix it and and spend money on it, and it wasn't a very nice guitar, and it was just like, you know. I needed a new guitar, and I had been praying for a new guitar. And here, in the in the front lineup, was a guitar for me in this in this picture that I saw in my head. And there was other things beyond it, but the first one was a guitar, and I was just like, "Okay." And the Lord said, "When the guitar comes, it will be a sign to you that what I have told you is true." And the week that I got back from that conference, I got back on Monday, I think. Maybe it was Sunday night. Okay. The next week, on Saturday night, I was preaching on coveting. As we were doing the Ten Commandments. It was the last sermon of the Ten Commandments series, and I was preaching on Thou shalt not covet. And they stopped me. I got up to preach, and they stopped me, and they said, we have a presentation to make, and I'm like, what's going on? And then they brought out this gorgeous Taylor guitar that I, that I now play all the time. If you've seen me play guitar, you've seen me play that one. And, and they brought it out and gave it to me. A bunch of people in the church had been putting their money together, pooling their money to buy this beautiful guitar. It's over a $3,000 guitar. And they had put their money together to buy this guitar for me. And I had no idea. My wife knew, but I didn't know. And the Lord had told me almost exactly a week before, when you see this guitar, you'll know that what I've told you today is the truth. This is the sign that your interpretation of this is correct, and then it came. Just dropped out of the invisible into the tangible, very, I mean, it was in my hands. Okay, that was about three years ago. And I was like, wow, what else is up there? You know, know, and since then, some of the other things, I saw a car, too. And I just got that a couple weeks ago. Again, just given to me just gifted to me insane but this is how God works this is how God works it's things that are his I didn't ask for those things necessarily until I saw them in God's heart for me and there's other things too that are down the pike that that I know that I'm I'm birthing now that I'm in cooperation with him to to birth and they're and they're up there but not just for me but for this region for my friends for this church, for my new church that I'm going to in the uh, first week of April, you know, the the for uh, 
the things God wants to do. And when you hear the Holy Spirit say, I want to do this, that is an invitation from the Spirit for you to say yes to that thing and to begin to give your life to it and begin to step into agreement with God about that thing and pull it out of the invisible into the tangible because God wants to do it. It's his idea, not mine, but here we go. We, he wants your involvement on it. Okay, one of those things, I mean, this is how God works. This is how God has always worked. One of the things God wanted to do was he wanted a people. Okay, way back, he wanted a people. And so what did he do? He tapped Abraham. Abraham, come with me. And he said, just go from here to there. I'm going to give you and your descendants this land. He didn't even begin to tell him about, you know, his son and about the whatever. He didn't, and Abraham didn't have any descendants at the time. And this thing, if you watch this kind of dance between Abraham and God, God puts desires in Abraham's heart. God names, well, his name was Abram at the time, not Abraham, but God puts desires in his, in this human heart. And then all of a sudden, Abram realizes that that desire is God's desire, not just mine. And, and he begins to cooperate with God in bringing that desire about and, and things explode. And that cooperation, by the way, when God says to Abraham, I will make your offspring like the stars of the sky and Abraham believed him the very next sentence in the scripture says and it was counted to him as righteousness okay so this process that I'm talking about this is righteousness what did Jesus teach us to pray your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Isn't that not exactly the process I'm talking about? When you see God's will and you say yes, and you say yes to it, and you begin to engage in the tangible realm in ways, and this last weekend was a really cool example of it. I have some really dear friends that they needed to raise some money very, very quickly. Okay, And they had sent out a message to a couple people just saying, be praying with us. We need to raise this money very quickly. And the Lord spoke to me immediately and said, I want you to give this much money towards that. And so I responded, or actually I had Rachel respond because I was driving. And, and I said, I said, tell them that we're going to do this. We had some money that had come in. I felt like the Lord wanted us to give. So, uh, we, so we gave it. Okay. We gave it. And within 24 hours, the rest of the money that they needed to come in came in. Boom. And I was like, what? Like as soon as, soon as we gave it, like five minutes later, we got a message back from them saying, hey, somebody just matched what you gave. And I was like, oh, really? And, and the Lord said to me, that faith sparked a fire that is now going to bring this whole thing in. And so on Sunday, I was like, so did it all come in? They were like, yeah, and we have extra. Why? Because what I gave was not enough, not even close. It wasn't an extravagant amount of money. It's what, what I had to give, okay? But I said yes to the Lord, not just with my heart, but faith without works is dead. So I actually tangibly acted towards the desire of God, and then resource was unleashed from multiple different places to pour in and accomplish what God wanted to do. 
boom, done, birthed. Uh, it doesn't always happen that fast. In fact, most of the time, it doesn't happen that fast. But sometimes it does. All right, let's go to Ephesians 5. I know I've been talking about it. I don't know who that was for. It's for somebody. So if you're in a place where you're like, I really need something like ASAP, I want to encourage you, plant a seed in it. Okay? Make, make a tangible move towards that thing. Whatever it is that you're feeling like God wants you to do, do something tangible. Sometimes it's something only symbolically tangible. Like walking down to the altar or stepping into the aisle to be prayed for. That is not... Well, how many of you know walking down to an altar cannot save you? Raising your hand cannot save you. Okay, None of those things can save you. Walking down to an altar can't save you. Stepping into an aisle cannot get you healed. But those are tangible agreements with what you see the desire of God's heart is. So you make a tangible move and things get unleashed in that moment. It's like the door gets opened and now it can come from the invisible into the tangible because there's tangible agreement with it. Does this make sense to everybody? I hope so. All right. So if that was you, uh, amen. All right. Verse 22, Ephesians 5, 22. Wives, be subject to your husbands as to the Lord. You know what? Let's back up. We're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're not going to start at verse 22. Uh, we're going to start at verse 21. Is that right? Yes. Verse 21. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Okay, the Apostle Paul has been talking about, remember, in the middle of all of, God, of, all of Paul's epistles, there's this turn from the theoretical to the practical. Okay? The first half of, of the letter is usually Paul talking about theology and theory. And then the last half of the letter is, now you put this theory, theology into practice by doing this. Okay? And the last half of the letter is usually practical instruction for Christian living. So if you're more artistic, more right-brainy, you like the first half of Paul's letters and you don't really like the second half. And if you're more practical and I need the ABCs of this, tell me, give me the 101, then you usually like the last half of Paul's letters and not the first half. Okay? Also, you like the book of James. Because that whole book is just, there's like no theory in it at all. It's just practical. Which is what, I, that's great. That's great. James is awesome. He's, he's great even though I hate his book. Because um, I am so, I'm, I'm like, I just want to talk theology. Let's just, let's just talk about the heavens. Woo! You know? And then they get to the practical and I'm like, boring! That's me. So, here we go. Verse 21 be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Okay? Hold your brothers and sisters to be of higher rank than you. That's literally what this word subject means. It means to put yourself in a lower, consider yourself in a lower rank than someone else. And in this case, the Apostle Paul is saying, consider yourself lower in rank than every other Christian that you encounter. Okay. Think about you got to think about the about the military because it's exactly what this is a military term that Paul is using. All right, and it means to be of lower rank than someone else. 
in the military, when someone of higher rank than you walks into the room, you salute, you refer to them as sir or ma'am unless they ask you to call them by their actual, like, sergeant, colonel, whatever their, you know, thing is. And you do whatever they ask you to do without question. And the Apostle Paul is saying that he wants the humility, the love, and the servanthood in the body of Christ to be so strong that every single one of us looks upon everyone else in the body of Christ as a higher rank than us, that we must serve, we must obey without question. We must say to them, you are in charge of me in, in, a, in a sense. That's a little extreme. That's a little crazy, but that's what he says. And then he says, in the fear of Christ. Now this word fear is phobos. That's where we get our word phobia. So it literally means fear. This isn't just in awe of Christ. No, this is fear. Okay, we are serving one another out of the knowledge of who Jesus is, and he served all of us. And it should make us tremble that the creator of the universe served me. He got down on his knees and washed my feet on the cross. And yet he was the highest of the high. Out of that knowledge and out of a literal trembling, how dare I, how dare I do less than he did? When we consider the humility of Christ, it should make us tremble on the inside. And any hint, any scrap of pride that just pokes its head up should scare us. It should make us go, what? No! Like, it, it should shake us up when we see pride or arrogance come poking out of us in some way. Like, oh, no! Get that out! Like, I mean... Like, like, you know, it's some kind of manifestation of cancer coming out of your body. I mean, it should be that kind of a reaction. That is so unchristlike. I've got it. That's got to come out. That's got to be excised. I've got to get it taken care of. Because who we are is we are servants of one another. That's who we've been called to be. Okay. This is about honor. It's about showing deference and respect. And we live our life to honor our brothers and sisters. We give honor to one another. Let other people go before you. Philippians 2.3, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with the humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. If you've ever had the thought, well, who does he think he is? That's out of place. It's out of place. In the family of God, that's not how we think. It's just not. This is, that, that's wrong. That's wrong-headed. It, it doesn't jive with the whole flow of this thing. 
I put this question here, should we fear Christ? Yes, but not as in shrinking from his influence. There's this place where where there's fear like, I got to get away from you. Ah, you know what I'm talking about? It's, it's fear. You scare me, so I'm running. No, it's a, it's it's like, have you, I, I went to the Toledo Zoo, okay, and they have a 23 foot long crocodile. Okay, and I looked through the glass down at that guy, and my heart beat faster. Okay, I was just like, ho, 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 ho. Like, <laughs> there was a little sense of, you know, what it must be like, you know, when in the wild when you hear a lion roar a little too close. <laughs> you know what I mean? Where you're just like, oh. Okay, there was this sense of, wow, he's big. He's, he's, it was like, you know, or, or have you ever looked down from a cliff? And felt your butt pucker, right? Yeah. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, just that, like, okay. Well, yeah, because you're a tall guy, you know. Somebody, somebody could just, like, tap you and you'd, like, you know what I'm talking about? It's like there's a physical, visceral reaction, right? I'm really not afraid of heights, but I've, I've been at the edge of a cliff or at the, like, looked down like in a big arena you know when you like look out you know and you're just like oh and you feel something happen physically right yeah okay that's what i'm talking about and that's the response we should have when we get a good picture of jesus we should have that kind of a response a physical reaction of oh whoa you big, me small, right? Okay, you know, as we, there should be. I was, I think of Biff Tannen, you know, when, like, when, when Marty like comes up to him and he's, he's like, hey, Biff, and Biff like stands up and he's like this, you know, and Marty's like, oh, like, you know what I'm talking, about? you know what I'm talking about? He's like, he's like, okay, well, that there should be this moment of, okay, whoa, oh, wow, wow, okay, that there should we should feel that, honestly. We should feel that when it comes to Christ. We should have this, we should tremble. One of the Psalms says to rejoice with trembling. Oh, it's Psalm 2. To rejoice with trembling. You know, I hate to be really cliche. Everybody does this, but C.S. Lewis, Aslan, he's not a tame lion. Right? But he's good. He's not a tame lion, but he's good. That's one of my favorite lines in the whole book, in all of the books, is when they see Aslan like walking away and, and he says, they say to each other, he's not a tame lion. No, but he's good. In other words, you can't control this guy. There's no, he's not safe. Jesus isn't safe. Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me. The cross isn't safe. The cross is death. Okay, Jesus is not about comfort. Jesus is not interested in your comfort. He's, in, he's interested in your well-being, not your comfort. Those are not the same thing. Pain is not an enemy. See, the, the, mo the biggest problem with American culture, this is my opinion, the biggest problem in American culture is that we honestly believe that pain equals bad. 
that's not true. Am I saying I enjoy pain? No, I do not. If I get the hint of a headache, I'm reaching for the ibuprofen. I don't care. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> I don't enjoy pain, but the truth is this, pain is not bad. Pain is a friend. Pain is the most effective way for you to grow. And Jesus knows that. That's why he makes you uncomfortable. Jesus loves to make us uncomfortable. He really does. He loves it. And I actually really like doing that to people too. I do. I do. Yeah. You guys know. Because <laughs> I, I would do that all the time. You know, people that were like, when I would see fear show up on their face, when I'm like, hey, I need somebody to share a testimony or I need somebody to sing a song. And I would see fear come up. I'd be like, it's you. <laughs> Or just, it's like, come on, today, you get to preach today. It's, like, it's just, if I just, they, they, my, my youth always knew, just, now, just, okay, no emotion. If I, if, if I show any fear, he's going to pick me, because that's what I did, because, because I, I just want to go after it. I want to go after that fear, which I do that in my own life, too. If I encounter something that I'm afraid of, I'm not kidding about this, if I encounter something that I'm honestly afraid of, I make a plan to go after it. The Even the alligators. <laughs> I jumped right in that algae and was like, yeah! Okay, no, no, I mean like something personal, something, something in myself, something I, like all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I don't know if I can do that. Honestly, that is a part of what this move is about for me. I didn't know that until after God had already made it clear that this is, that we were supposed to go and do this. But now I do. The, Lord, the Lord's like, you are just way too comfortable, and I want to stretch you. And so I, I'm in. Let's do it. Let's go. You want to stretch me? Stretch me. This is how you grow. This is how you learn. It's how you learn who you are, and this is how you learn who Jesus is. You learn how quick you can break and how fast he comes to your rescue. It's so good. And it sucks. It sucks when you're in the midst of it. It's great afterwards. It does. It's terrible. It sucks. It's painful. It's uncomfortable. You're like, God, I don't want to do this. And he's like, I know you don't. That's why you're doing it. <laughs> Rejoice with trembling. All right. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Now. He turns his attention and he starts to break out categories of people to talk about how they are to be subject to one another. And he goes to wives first. There's a whole lot of questions you can ask about why would he go to wives first? I don't know. But remember that context is everything. Yeah. Uh, New American Standard. What's that? NIV? N-A-S-B. Okay. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And he says, right? And then he says, wives. Now, he doesn't say, wives, be subject to your husbands. He doesn't say that. He says, wives to your husbands. Well, don't just clap because 
he means be subject to. But he does. But understand that this instruction is in the context of be subject to one another. That's the command. Be subject to one another. And then he says, wives, that means you need to be subject to your husbands. Is that the same as like submit? Yes. Yeah. Same word. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, it's, it's great. Okay. Be subject. Be of lower rank in your own mind to your husbands. Okay. Let's break that out. Okay. Context means everything. It does not say, wives be subject to your husbands. It says, wives to your husbands. Because he already said, be subject to one another. That's what he wants. Verse 21 says, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. What does it say in another translation? Submit to one another out of Christ. Sure. Submit to one another. The Greek word is, Consider yourself of lower rank. I'm talking about in verse 22, you said, what's 22 saying Mine, it says, wives, and then in brackets, be subject. Because in the Greek, the words be subject are not there. Mine are like, like the next Right. They're telling you something there. That's been inserted by the translator. When you see italics, it's being inserted by the translator to make it, to make the meaning more clear. Okay? That's but it's just referencing back to the verse before it, where he said, be subject to one another, wives to your husbands. Okay. Okay, it says, wives to your husbands, connecting it emphatically to the verse before it. He gave a general command, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Now he's breaking out the categories and setting a description for one kind of submission. That kind is the submission of a wife to her husband. Um, and I've got a couple. Recognize that someone has, uh, this is by Guzik. I like this guy. He's, you can look his thing up on Bible Hub. Recognize someone has legitimate authority over you. It means you recognize that there is an order of authority and that you are part of a unit, a team. You as an individual are not more important than the working of the team. Does that make sense? Okay. Submission. This is, uh, who said this? Oh, I always write it down and I didn't this time. Well, somebody else said this. <laughs> Submission does not mean inferiority. Hear this. Submission does not mean inferiority as well. Submission does not mean silence. Submission means submission, under mission. There's a big mission and there's a small mission. The mission of your family is the big mission. The mission of, your pers of you personally is the, the sub-mission, the under-mission. Does that make sense? To put your personal need, your personal want, your personal desire, to put it underneath that of the team that God has connected you to. That is husband and wife. Okay, that mission, the wife says, uh, I'm going to put myself under that mission. 
That mission is more important than my individual desires. I'm not putting myself below my husband. I'm putting myself below the mission God has for our marriage and our life together. Does that make sense? It's where you have become one. And that is more important than you as an individual. Is your your what you've been called to together as a couple. As your one flesh state. And guess what? Your husband has to do the same thing. He has to submit to the mission God has given to you as a couple, to the team. That is what's being said here, okay? To your own husbands, oh, this is also good. To your own husbands, it says, wives to your husband. It does not say women to every man. All right, there are people that will use this verse to say women ought to submit to men. Just across the board. Eh, Wrong. This means submit to your husband. To your marriage, the mission God has for you as a family is more important than your personal individual mission. Okay? It has nothing to do with you, with every man in the world has authority over every woman. Ain't wrong. That is not what Paul is saying. That is not scriptural. When you enter into marriage, something happens. There is, there is something that takes place in that moment. And all of a sudden, your personal mission becomes submission, and the mission of your family is mission. The ultimate mission. Okay? Does not place men above women. It says in marriage that there are two different roles to be filled. Verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. Okay. The head. 1 Corinthians 11.2 talks about this also. The head is the source. Okay, God begat man, man begat woman. She was made for him. Okay, Head means authority, but it also means responsibility. It is his duty and his joy to steward his wife in such a way that she flourishes to become all that God has created her to be. That's why you're being asked to submit to this mission. It's why you're being asked to step into cooperation with your husband towards this end because you cannot be everything God has called you to be outside of this context. Now, there are women out there who have not been called to marry. They've been called to stay single their entire life. And they will never have to submit to a man in this way. They will become everything that God has called them to be on their own without submitting to a man. Okay, But when God puts you together with a man, all of a sudden, that mission of man and wife becomes more important than the mission of you. And you're who you are. It is his responsibility to lift you up and enable you to be everything that God has called you and created you to be. That is who he is. That's his job. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) kingdom leadership looks like this for future yes okay check this out kingdom leadership kingdom leadership 
looks like this. Yes, in, in the relationship of husband and wife, man has been called to lead. That's clear. He's, been, he's the head. That's biblical. That does not mean that he can squash you like a little bug and make, you know, uh, five steps behind me and to the right and you need to be barefoot and pregnant at all times. That is not the teaching of Scripture. <laughs> there are people that will try and take this verse and turn it into a club to be wielded over the head of women to say, obey your husband, woman. No. Okay. They miss the point of this scripture. They miss it completely. Because in the kingdom, leadership does not look like that. In the kingdom, leadership is servanthood. Mark 10, 42-45. Calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their, great, and their great men exercise authority over them, but it is not this way among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be the slave, Greek word doulos, the bondservant of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Guys, when we've been called to lead our wives, it looks like this. It looks like serving her. It looks like laying down your life to see her become all God has created her to be. Is that not how Jesus leads us? What did you say? Are you only asking the guys? That's both true for the guys and the girls, but that is how Jesus leads us, Yes. All of us, he poured out his own life blood to, to bring us back to the destiny God had created us for, correct? Yes? And, and it says that we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. We're getting there in a minute. The husband has a role to play and the wife has a role to play. Okay. Verse 24, but as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives to their husbands in everything. Okay? A wife's submission to her husband is part of her Christian life and obedience. Listen up. When it says they're subject to, uh, we'll, we'll get to it in a minute. That's a different verse. Okay. Why, uh, when a wife doesn't obey this word to submit to your own husband as to the Lord, she, is, she isn't only falling short as a wife, she's falling for, short as a follower of Jesus Christ. Do you know how many women I've talked to that would say to me and have said to me, well, I'm closer to Jesus than my husband is, so I don't have to submit to him. Wrong. I wish. Sorry, honey, that's not true. That's not what the Bible says. A part of your submission to Christ is to be in submission to your husband. To the mission God has called your family to. And he is the leader of that mission. Okay. 
This is completely out of the realm of the wife's nature or personality. In other words, it doesn't matter if you're smarter than he is, if you're quicker than he is, if you know it better than he does. This is what you've been called to do. I'm being hard on everybody today, guys, so just get it. Get used to it. Okay? This has nothing to do with the husband's intelligence, giftedness, or capability. It has to do with the honoring of the Lord Jesus Christ. This has nothing to do with whether or not the husband is right on a particular issue. It has to do with Jesus being right. This means that a woman should take great care in how she chooses her husband. Instead of looking for an attractive man, instead of looking for a wealthy man, instead of looking for a romantic man, a woman should look first for a man she can respect. That's from Campbell. Okay, and then it says, it says, I recall the story of an older Christian woman who had never married and she explained, I never met a man who could master me, so she had the right idea. I used to say this to the girls in my youth group all the time. Don't you dare settle for a man that does not deserve you. And I will say it to you. If you do not meet a man that you can fully respect, you shouldn't date him and you should not marry him. Too many people have entered into relationships because he's hot. Because he's rich. Because he's romantic. When they entered into a, into a union that was unequal, there is more to being unequally yoked than Christian, non-Christian. Connect with a man who can keep pace with you. That you can <laughs> respect. If there are things about him that you can say, Wow, I really respect that about you. If you cannot say that about a man, do not date him and do not marry him. Find a man that you can look up to. A man that can actually lead you by serving you. And if you can't find one, then don't get married and it's not going to and you're going to be just fine. I know, I know. There's a lot of people, but I want to get married and have kids. What? Did you have your hand raised? I know people, I know, I know. See, and what I love is that all the guys in the room are, would, would, now, for, the guys in the room are saying, I want to get married and have sex, and the girls in the room are saying, I want to get married and have kids. No. I'm sad to tell you, it's true. There's a, when, now, uh, just wait, because what I mean by that is, like, when we talk about, oh, Jesus could come tomorrow, and there's this thing that kind of bubbles to the top of, you know, but I've not been married. Usually for the guys, it's because I'm still a virgin, and that's their real problem, <laughs> right? <laughs> and for the ladies, it's, but I want to have kids. Usually. Now, that's not always true, but still. I'm just throwing it out there. Ladies, just so you know what's going on. Do not marry a man you cannot respect. Don't even date a man you can't respect. If you can't respect his walk with Christ his personal integrity, and the way that he treats the other women in his life. Run. 
Yeah. Okay. Um, I have a quick question. So I've heard like the saying that says like, is this true? Like, the guy that you marry has to be more in love with God than you. Yeah. Like more in love. Oh yes. Okay, so that is true, right? Yes. Okay. No, I mean, I, I agree with that. Absolutely. If he's not more in love no, with... I agree. Do you really <laughs> want a guy that worships you and not Jesus? No, I don't think I'm so. I'm just saying that. Okay. <laughs> I want that. No. Yeah. Okay, a cool saying I heard was, um, watch how a man treats his mother, and that's a reflection yeah. culture you, and then watch how a woman treats her father, and that's a yep. reflection culture. That's how. Well, that's one of the things I used to tell. I used to tell people all the time: "Mama's boys make the best husbands." It's the truth, my Not friends. That's my brother-in-law's a total mama. Now boy, wait. Just, just wait a minute. There is more. There is more. Okay. Then he's not really a mama's boy. He's just a baby. And there's. A because there's two different kinds of mama's boys. There's the kind of mama's boy that's just wants to be taken care of so I can continue to suck my thumb and be a little baby. <laughs> and then there's the kind that has such a love, such a deep love and respect for their mother that nobody talks about my mama. Okay? I'm the second kind of mama's boy. Now, my mama does not need me to protect her. I'll tell you that right now. She doesn't. I'm serious. You better watch it. Don't you give my mom any sass, because she'll kill you first, and I'll kill you second. My mother has been known to throw shoes across rooms. So, it's true. What you need to do is find a man who loves a strong woman. You'll be good. Yeah. Okay, so I feel like this whole like marriage thing is like hitting me feelings because because um like my whole life like my dad has always used that well you have to submit to me because I'm the father and you can do what I say. Right. And like that kind of like screwed up my like way I see marriage because my mom had to like give up a lot of what she loved because of my dad. And so I've been really fearful of marriage because of that. So I feel like this like completely changed the way. Well, let's continue on because we're going to go even further, okay? We don't have a lot of time. Okay? <clears throat> All right. Verse 25. Now let's talk to the guys, okay? Now, in, this, in these next few verses, all the way through verse 33, there's two pictures going on. And they're kind of battling with one another in these next, uh, these next eight verses. Um, but they very much go together, and, there's, there's, and they, they really lie right alongside one another. And one is the picture of how a man should treat his wife, and the picture of how Jesus treats the church. Because they are the one and the same. Okay? But he's teaching how Jesus treats the church, and he's saying to men, this is how you should love your wife. Okay? Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, 
having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, but because they are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ in the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you is also to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. So let's talk about first, let's talk about the relationship of man to his wife. Okay. Yeah. yeah I just thought this was funny because it's like talking like all the irregular font and then as soon as it gets it for this reason a man shall leave and goes straight like all caps. Like super <laughs> emphasizing. Yeah, my in mine also. It's all caps. It's like it's gonna for this reason <laughs> Okay. There's two things. Okay, there's two things that it says. It says he laid down his life for her, but then he says in verse twenty eight, twenty nine, it says, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes. Okay, these are the two things that a man should do for a woman. He should nourish her and he should cherish her. Okay? To nourish means to protect, provide, promote, and to see to the practical need of a person or thing. To nourish, protect, provide, promote, and see to its practical needs. Okay? That's what it means to nourish. To give your wife, to Men, you need to give your woman a, pl a safe place full of acceptance and joy to try new things and to grow and become more like Jesus. That's your job. You need to be the safe place that your wife can become more like Jesus. That's who you need to be. Ladies, you need to find a man that can be the safe place for you to grow and become more like Jesus. If he is intimidated... By your relationship with Christ, you need to drop him like a bad habit. I mean it. Don't even start. If you pray more than him, don't marry him. Come on now, I'm serious. Ladies, there is no reason not to set the bar high. No reason at all. You can live single and be happy or you can live married and be miserable. You don't need a man. You got Jesus. Okay. Now wait. Part of nourishment is also this. To bring correction when it's necessary. Okay. To wash you with the water of the word. Not his own opinion. Okay. His job is to help you come into alignment with God's word, not to help you come into alignment with his opinion. Guys. I'm looking right at you. <laughs> so a lot of men love to take this kind of a verse and they love to say, woman, you got to step, step in line. No, your job is to wash her with the water of the word. Bring the word to her. Don't use it. It does not say beat her with the club of the word. 
It does not say that. Okay, that is not what it says. It does not say cut her with the sword. It is not what it says. It is not your job. You need to ask yourself this question. Would you do it to yourself? Then you should not do it to her. She is she is a member of your body. She is a part of your body. Wives are a part of the husband's body. You are one flesh. And you take care of yourself. Washing her with the water of the word. Cleansing her. When she's out of alignment, yeah, bring the word to her, but not like, what? No. (laughs) Honey, I love you and I'm worried about this. Can we talk about this? And I know that I don't get everything right. But I just saw this. I just want to bring the word to it and let's let's walk this out together. Gentleness, kindness, you're nourishing. Nourishing. Okay, that's your job, to nourish and to cherish. Okay, to fight for you against your enemies, both physical and emotional. Do you know how many times I've seen a husband throw his wife under the bus emotionally? Have any idea? Uh, oh, it is. Oh, I just want to like break something off and start beating the guy. I mean it. When he just abandons her to be brutalized emotionally, excuse me. Now, gentlemen, I'm going to say this to you. I did. I told you a minute ago to be mama's boys, but I'll tell you also right now. Do not let your mother beat her. There comes a time when you have to stand between your mama and your wife and you have to tell your mama, this is my wife. Especially when grandkids come along. I know how much you love your mama. I know, because I love my mama. But your mother is not a part of your body, and she is. She gets priority over your mom. That may not sound like a big deal to some of you, but I'm telling you, I've seen it over and over again, where... The mo- the mother of the groom comes and rules the roost, and the wife just becomes like a secondary citizen of that house. I've seen it so And if those guys are friends of mine, then I look them in the eye and I say, you need to grow a pair of balls. Tell your mom what to do. <laughs> See, guys, we have that kind of conversation with each other, don't we? Yeah. It's like, brother, this is your wife and this is your mom. Your wife is more important to you than your mom, and that's how it should be. That doesn't mean your mom's not important to you, but your wife is more important to you than your mom. That's what happened the day you said, I do. She became first priority. Okay? When you say I do, is that when you become one? Or when you're dating? I believe that, no, 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 it's... (laughs) You become one? You become one... At the altar, okay. that is when you become one. I remember my mom said this to me like the day before my wedding. She looked at me and she said, when you walk up to that altar, who you are ends and you walk out someone else who's one flesh with your wife from that point forward. Your life ends and Josh Rachel life begins. And so when I do weddings... 
I am conscious of the fact that I am performing a miracle in public. And I ask for it. Holy Spirit, come. Do what only you can do. Make these two into one. That's real. That's not just words. That is a real thing that happens at the, at the wedding ceremony, where two people become one flesh. Okay? And the expression of that is sex. That's the expression of the reality that took place beforehand. That's why, that's one of the many reasons why, sex outside of or before that moment where God makes two people into one person is stupid, ridiculous, and makes no sense at all. Because you aren't one flesh. What are you doing acting like it? It is at the marriage altar that you become one. So, you know, that... and. Honestly, I have felt the presence of God more powerfully at weddings than almost any other place I've ever been, where I'm like, whew, especially in ministry, where I'm just stepping up. And as they begin to say the vows to one another, I just sense the Holy Spirit just, you know, just like something's going on there. It's like, oh, whoo, you can, you can feel it. I mean, you can feel it in the room that something supernatural is happening in this moment. There are people who would tell you that, oh, you're not one flesh until you have sex. That's not true. Okay? So, to nourish, to give a safe place of full acceptance and joy so that she can become more like Jesus, to bring correction when it's necessary, to fight for you, ladies, against your enemies, both physical and emotional. And to never, ever make you feel attacked by himself. He is your protector. He is not your predator. Now, this is hard, guys. This is really hard. But you may not intimidate your wife. Physically, verbally, in any way. It is illegal you may not intimidate your wife. That goes for your kids, too. If she is afraid of you physically, you have failed. Honestly, this is something that's been easy. I've never even been worried about intimidating my wife in that way. But I have really had to work hard at not intimidating my children. And I have not always been successful. Christ does not rule out of intimidation. It's not how he rules. He rules by serving. And that's how marriage works, and that's how parenthood works. All right, that's nourish. Now, cherish is to treat your wife like the treasure that she is. Okay, to nourish means to meet physical need, practical need. To cherish means to meet emotional need. It's your duty, gentlemen, and your delight to release your wife to be all God has dreamed that she can be. 
That's your job. God has a dream over this woman that he's put in your life. You should consider it your personal mission to see that dream fulfilled. That means her dreams, her desires, and the things that God has called her to do and to be, you need to make room for that. One of my favorite things that my wife and I do together is when we lead worship together. Because in, in that way, that is one of the places where I know that I am cooperating with God in releasing my wife to be exactly who she was created to be. Because she is a worship, she is a born worship leader. That's just who she is. And she flies in those moments. And when I step up there and I and we do this together and I make a place for her to be exactly who God's created her to be, I, I love it. I love it. It's so much fun. It is. It's fun. You know, Pastor Phil's always like, I see you up there. I know you get turned on when she's going for it. Like, <laughs> and I was like, shut up, man. You're not supposed to know that. <laughs> it's just so true. Cause I stand back and I'm just like, that's my woman. <laughs> yeah. She's being exactly who God created her to be. I'm telling you, it is so much fun. It is so much fun to watch God just, just explode out of her in those moments. And I just, wow, I love it. It's so much fun. No, 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 no. That's what I'm saying. Usually, usually you just like, you give her a good smile and you're like, you just want yeah. to be very happy. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Because I've noticed that, but it's not like you're like, no. But that's how I feel on the inside. <laughs> it is. It's like, that's right. She said yes to me. That's right. <laughs> no. I'm pretty excited about it. <laughs> It's your duty and your delight to release her to be all God has dreamed she can be. If you're not, listen guys, if you are not a little bit, slightly, slightly in awe of your wife, you probably shouldn't marry her. Wait, if you're not in awe. In awe, just a little bit. If you're not a little bit going, oh my God, she's actually with me. <laughs> that's, that's then she's probably the wrong lady. That's what I was just expressing. <laughs> yeah. If there's not a little bit of, uh, there's not a little bit, like when Caleb and Sarah started dating, that's when, that was the first time in Caleb's life, and he had dated several women before this. That's the first time in Caleb's life where I said, you're out of your league, buddy. He goes, oh, no. <laughs> I said, I said, she's probably the right one. Because this is the first time in his life where he was like, shoot, I'm going to have to clean myself up and like kind of really go for it to win this woman. I don't think I could just <laughs> chill and, you know, and <laughs> he felt like he had to kind of, you know, okay, I'm going to have to work on myself a little bit. Guys, find a woman that makes you feel that way. Women, you need to find a man you can respect. Guys, you need to find a woman that you're in awe of just a little bit. Uh, it doesn't mean it's just like hero worship, like, oh, she's the most amazing thing. Because there's just nothing less manly than that. <laughs> I mean it. What? 
There's nothing less manly than a guy who's just like walking after his wife all the time going, yes, honey, whatever, honey. Because whatever, you're intimidated by her. I'm not saying intimidated. No, no, no. But you need to look at her and just be like, oh, you better have a sense of what a treasure she is and that you don't deserve her. You better have a sense of that. But do not marry a woman you're afraid of. Because she needs a different man. She just does. <laughs> I'm just telling the truth. Okay, that's important. All right. Just Okay, so, um, so cherish. This is emotional need. To get you out of your own way and connect you to purpose, guys, that's what your man is supposed to do. To get you out of your own way and connect you to your purpose. The primary reason that women don't accomplish everything God's called them to accomplish is because they're second-guessing themselves. That's not true. Men are almost exactly the opposite. The primary reason men don't accomplish everything God wants them to accomplish is because they're nowhere near humble enough. I'm speaking in broad generalities because there's some definitely arrogant women out there, but mostly arrogance is man's problem. Okay. And a lack of confidence is a woman's. You need a man that's going to fill you with confidence so that you get out of your own way and actually do what God's called you to do. Does that make sense? Okay. To see in you, ladies, what you cannot see in yourself and encourage you to step into who you really are. That's his job. How many of you like Downton Abbey? Anybody? Downton? Downton fans? Okay. This is what Matthew did for Mary. Do you remember? Do you remember when Matthew and Mary were first together and she was saying to him, like, everybody else thinks I'm mean, but you think I'm sweet. And he's and he was like, That's yeah, and it's because I see that in you and nobody else does, that makes me feel special. Okay? And that was when I knew that they were perfect for each other because he saw who she really was. She put up all these crazy walls all the time and he saw right past them to who she actually was. And that's how I knew that she, he was the man for her. Uh, you know that, and that's how you should know. When he sees good things in you that you never even knew that were there, that should give you a clue. Oh, okay, maybe this is the right guy. Okay, remember Mark 10, this is what the kingdom authority looks like from God, the Father, on down. That means he's laying down his life to serve uh, the purpose God created you for. Okay, now, ladies, I have a couple things I want to say. Okay, there's something, please hear this. There is something in the heart of a man that deeply desires to be your hero. Okay. He wants to go all out for you. That, that's, in, that's inside the heart of every man, so I need you to do this for me. Let him save you sometimes. I know you're totally capable of helping yourself. Let him save you sometimes. It will mean everything to him. You can have all the spiders he wants. <laughs> <laughs> you can have them. Don't want them. Just let him do it. I don't see you. 
You don't need I know you don't need him, and that's good. I don't want you to need him, but let him save you sometimes. Okay? Yeah. Okay, my parents are the cutest thing in the world. And my dad is petrified of spiders. Like, terrified, absolutely terrified. And so is my mom. Yeah. So it's a really great combination. And they tell us all the time. It was, like, on their honeymoon or something. I don't remember what it was. But, like, she started freaking out because there was a spider. And he, like, she didn't know that he was afraid of spiders at this point. And so he killed it and then, like, went in the bathroom and, like, Let him save you sometimes. If you're too strong, listen to this, if you're too strong to let him serve you, you are denying him his ability to be who God created him to be. I'm going to say it again. If you are too strong to let him serve you, you are denying him his ability to be who God created him to be. What? Well, isn't there like certain like limits with things like that? Like, what if, like, like, I don't know, like for me, I'm a big believer that a man should like let a woman like be strong. And, like, yeah. Just don't be too strong to let him serve you. But what does that mean? Like, what it... Let him open the door for you, sweetie. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, let, him, okay. let him pull the chair out that for you. Okay? Let him save you sometimes. I'm not at telling you to let him do everything for you. I'm not telling you to act like a wimp because that's not attractive either. But don't be so strong that you look at him when he wants to do something for you and you say, I don't need you. No, no, no. Unless you're single. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah. So, like, me and my mom, we were, like, kind of the same, you know, I was talking to my mother, so like that. Mm-hmm. Well, like, she's extremely independent, and so am I, but she always tells me that, like, she has to let my stepdad do something every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Like, we have really tall cabinets, and yeah. we're both really short, <laughs> so we always have to ask him to get it instead of climbing on the counter. It's just something I have to do. So yes. that's what reminds me of it. You're totally capable of doing it, but yeah. let him do it for you. I climb on cars all the time. Let him carry heavy stuff for you. It is not a statement that I'm unable. It's a statement that I'm going to let him do this for you. He'll feel better about. He'll feel good about himself, and you will feel good about him, whether you know it or not. Okay. Now let's go back to Jesus in the church, real quick, and then we'll be done. Okay. Christ gave himself up for us. Okay. Listen to this. There were three there were three humiliations of Christ in scripture. Three. Number 1 is the incarnation. Christ was fully God, became fully man. That's the first humiliation of Christ. Okay. The second humiliation of Christ was the cross. He died a criminal's death. And the third humiliation of Christ is the church. We are his body. 
We are his representation in the world. And we do a sucky job. We do. But all three humiliations were Jesus ser serving us so that we could become everything that his Father created us to become. He sanctifies us. He makes us holy. That's what the word sanctify means. Jesus makes you holy. He does not condemn you. He makes you holy. Okay? So if the Lord is putting pressure on you in a specific area, do not, like, take that on as, I'm a horrible person and Jesus hates me. No, no, no. He's making you holy. He's bringing it to your attention because he is enabling you to overcome it. Not because he wants you to feel bad about it. When the Lord puts light on a sin or a sin or a sinful behavior or a thought pattern that is not that is contrary to the word, when the Lord shines light on something like that in your life, he is not doing it to make you feel bad about yourself. He is doing it because he's going to give you the grace to walk out of it. It's an invitation from Jesus to move beyond this thing. So when you see, when the Lord highlights, hey, that was a prideful feeling you had right there. Don't go off into your closet and weep and cry, I'm such a prideful person. No, that is the wrong reaction. He brought it to your attention so you and him could get past it together. That's why he brought it to your attention. It's not about punishment, ever. It's always about promotion. Always. Always. That he might present her to himself. We are for him. We are being made beautiful because we're for him. He makes all things beautiful because he's going to marry us. He's given himself to us so he could give us to himself. <clears throat> That's good. I just like that. It's good. In, the, uh, in that scripture I read, it says, so he's going to present to himself a bride without spot or wrinkle, made glorious, no spot, no wrinkle, holy and blameless. That's your destiny. And that's how he sees you already. He sees you glorious. He sees you without spot. He sees you without wrinkle. You are perfect in his eyes. Isn't that great? He's already enjoying you. Even in your immaturity. He nourishes us. He feeds and clothes us. He takes care of our personal needs. And he cherishes us. He makes us feel adored. Gentlemen, you need to nourish your wives and cherish your wives. Ladies, you need to let him nourish and cherish you. Don't go uh, when he wants to be when he wants to say nice things about you. And don't tell him not to say them. I hate that. My wife does that all the time. Don't say that. 
be like, you know, I'll just say something nice about her and she'll be like, whatever. I'm like, no, uh-uh-uh. And I tell her this all the time. I say, honey, I wouldn't let anybody else talk about you that way. I'm not going to let you talk about you that way either. Guys, we have to nourish and cherish. That's our job. And it's fun. It's fun. It really is. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. Thank you that you nourish us and that you cherish us. You enable us to become everything that you've always dreamed we could be. And you adore us in the midst of our ugly process. You're so good. Lord, I pray for the young men and the young women in this room. I pray that you would give them an understanding of what a Christian marriage should look like. I pray that all of the broken and uh, twisted versions of marriage that they've seen, and that's every version of marriage they've ever seen, that all of that would be washed out of their minds and out of their hearts, and that you would set up holy expectation inside of them for what this portion of Scripture describes, a perfect partnership submitted to each other as they are submitted to you. I pray in Jesus' name.